Good morning, everybody. It is so good to see everybody this morning. Welcome to Lindsay Lane East. Um, <clears throat> first service, we got to witness the baptism to start us off, which was super awesome. So uh, pray for Knox and his family as he begins his walk as a believer. So let's all stand to our feet <clears throat> as we're worshiping today. Let's remember our baptism as uh, as new believers and how exciting a time that was. And Let's worship him openly today. Here we go. Stand against the power of 
Yeah. 
Y'all are ready to worship this morning. Holy mackerel. Amen. I can even hear the live stream.
Father, we're so thankful to be here today, Lord God, to worship you, to sing your praises. Father, we thank you for the spirit in this place, your spirit dwelling in the bodies of believers as a promise, as a down payment to show that we have been saved. Gracious Father, we pray that as we open your word and we study it today, God, we would be enabled by your spirit to understand your truth that you would enable Heath to preach it rightly. God, give us attentive hearts so that we can hear from you today. We need to hear from you today. God, as we see the world around us, it seems to be crumbling apart at the seams, God. We know that you have a plan and that your plan includes us. It includes this church as a body and this church as individuals to share your truth and to see lives changed, to see souls saved. God, if there's a person in this place who doesn't know you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I pray that through the message today, through the music and through the ministry, Lord, that they would come to realize their need for a Savior, that their sinful hearts separate them from you, but that through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice he made on the cross, you can go from wicked to righteous, lost to saved, sinner to saint. God, we are so grateful. And that message is still alive and well today. God, help us to remember the person or the people who shared that truth with us over time so that we can be part of someone else's story, someone else's testimony, someone else's salvation. And God, to you be the glory. It belongs to you. Father, we pray over Heath as he preaches today, Lord God. Speak through him and help us to hear from you. We love you, Lord Jesus, in his name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. It's so good to see you, be here with you. Hey, if you're new here with us, this is your first time worshiping with us. We're so pumped that you're here, and we pray that you feel welcome today. And we actually have a gift that we would love to give you today, uh, but we're not going to make you awkwardly raise your hand or anything like that. We simply ask you to fill out the card at the back of the seat in front of you. And if you'll fill that out and drop it by Next Steps on your way out today, um, at our uh, Next Steps is just in the lobby there. They'll actually just give you a little bit of information about our church, and actually give you a free t-shirt today. So you can't beat that. Listen to some redneck talk for 40 minutes and you get a free t-shirt. Hopefully 30, right? Amen. All right. So free, that's awesome. Hey, this cert, this morning at our 9 o'clock service, we had an awesome, awesome time. Really, really cool. Because we were back in the baptism waters, right? And so a uh, quick picture here. This is Knox McLaughlin. And uh, man, Knox is a, is a young kid. Um, he's he's in first or he's in second grade, and uh, man, just an awesome, awesome kid. Iggy and uh, Whitney McLaughlin's uh, son, and we got to baptize him this morning, and just thank God for saving him and uh, helping him take that first step of obedience as he chooses now to live the rest of his life for Jesus. And so that was a really, really sweet moment this morning, and uh, it was really, really cool. We don't baptize him again in the second service because that would be confusing, um, but you guys get to see a picture, okay? 
but you get to see a picture. And so this morning, I'm going to turn to Psalm 1 if you brought your Bible. Uh, this morning, we're continuing this study called Rhythms, Spiritual Disciplines in Everyday Life. And uh, so last week was really just an introduction of sorts. Last week, we really just looked at, uh, you know, why, what, what, is, what does God have for us? And, and then this, this past Wednesday night, our groups, uh, we have groups that meet on Wednesday nights. And what they're doing right now is actually taking the sermon from Sunday morning and kind of diving a little deeper into it. And so this past Wednesday night, they looked at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And in those groups, they discussed the fact that everyone in the world is striving after a prize. Every one of us has something, every person on the face of the earth has one thing, or maybe several things, that are driving every decision they make, every, every thought, every bit of speech, every bit of action. There's something that's driving. And what we talked about on Wednesday night, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, that all those things, those prizes that we're seeking after, they're all temporary, and none of them are going to last. However, there is an eternal prize that we have in Christ. And if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior today, that there is a prize that we, are, that we are living for. There's a thing that's driving every decision we make, every action, and that is our relationship with Jesus Christ, um, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ and his blood. And so uh, Paul comes on the scene and calls this an imperishable prize. And so we now live for him. The goal of looking like Jesus is the end. And as Paul says, just like good competitors, if we're going to be good competitors... We need to discipline ourselves and to strive. If, 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 if our relationship with Christ is the most important thing in our lives and looking like Jesus is the end goal, then we've got to discipline ourselves to live that way. And that's what this whole study is about, is looking at, we're going to, this, through this series, we're going to look at Bible reading, meditation, scripture memory, prayer, fasting, silence, solitude, evangelism, serving, and maybe a couple others. And we've got three weeks to do it. Hang in there. So these are the habits and the rhythms that you and I have got to figure out a way to work into our lives so that we can better serve Christ. And so um, it's going to be a lot of fun as we hang out um, and do this together. So Psalm 1, uh, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to pray. And don't panic, it's only six verses, okay? Um, don't panic, just six verses, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll come back and talk about it, okay? Psalm 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing waters that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the w wicked leads to ruin. Let me pray. Father, we thank you, God, that, uh, uh, that in your word uh, we are given, uh, uh, God, just a, a window into who you are. And, God, the ultimate goal we know of your word is that we know you. And, uh, God, in turn, we also learn about ourselves and the world and those around us. But God, I pray that today, ultimately, God, we walk away today with a better understanding uh, of, of your grace, God, your love, uh, your expectations, God, um, your justice, your righteousness. Um, God, all of those things. And uh, God, I pray that as we do it, uh, we get to enjoy this and have fun studying your word together this morning. 
And God, I pray, as we always do, that you'd teach us to know you today and that you would be with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, Psalm 1, pretty simple. Only six verses, not too long, right in the sweet spot. Um, Not a whole lot of different parts, but what I hope you see at the end today is that, boy, there is a lot going on in Psalm 1. So, what you may not realize is Psalm 1 and 2. Um, are, are considered by a lot of theologians actually like the introductions to the rest of the Psalms, right? They, well, a lot of them say is that in Psalm 1 and 2 are most of the themes that we see carried throughout the rest of the Psalms. And so Psalm 1 in particular is wrestling with this idea of two paths, two ways, okay? And so what we need to do is before we dive in, is remember that psalm, the, all the psalms are an ancient form of Hebrew poetry. Okay? Poetry fans in the house? I think more than the first service, which was shocking. Um, uh, we did, we did, I did have to clarify that, yes, Dr. Seuss counts as poetry. That got a few more hands. Yeah, there we go. All right, we're all in the same boat. But in a lot of that, when you read poetry like real poetry that's written with purpose, you read it differently than you do a novel. You read it differently than you do a letter. Like you, And the same thing comes to the Bible. When we're reading a text that we know was written to be poetry, like we need to read it different than we did the Gospel of John a few weeks ago in our series in, in August. We need to read it differently than we did the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy last week. When we come to the book of Psalms, we've got to recognize this is poetry. We need to slow down. We need to recognize, okay? Hebrew poetry is is like our poetry in some ways, but not like it in a lot of others, okay? If you think of poetry as uh, green eggs and ham, okay, for instance, then that what, 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 what is the key that drives everything in green eggs and ham? Rhyming words, right? I am Sam. Sam, I am, right? But there's this, there's this language that goes, would you eat it with a fox? Would you eat it in a box, right? Like there's this rhyming pattern of words. In Hebrew poetry, that is not what goes on. There are not rhyming words in Hebrew poetry. There is rhyming images, okay? Where we take two images and we don't, we don't compare words, we don't, but we compare images. Oftentimes um, in Hebrew poetry, there is one thing we're trying to get across, and we do it by actually kind of coming down and talking about another image that maybe you're more familiar with or just a different idea, but it's all driving us back to the original point that the poet's trying to make. And so this is the way, again, just recognizing that when we come to poetry is important. That's what we have going on in Psalm 1. So uh, for note takers in the room, this is all for you. Uh, the comparison is point number one, Okay. Uh, So the psalmist really is showing us a comparison between two paths, two ways today. And some of you really type A people, you're going to be really pumped. We have sub points today. Felicia, we got sub points. Isn't that cool? Sub points. And some of you, I promise you, that doesn't mean the sermon's going to be longer. It just means we have sub points. And if you're not a type A person, you don't understand it, but they're pumped that we have sub points, okay? So uh, so th- because there's not just one comparison, there's really a kind of a three-layered comparison that's going on in Psalm 1. And so that's where the subpoints come in. So the first comparison that we're really seeing, it's just the main one, is two people. Okay, As I've already said, much of Hebrew poetry is laying out different ways a person can choose to live. 
Um, the first person that we see in Psalm 1-1 uh, is not really labeled there, but we find out by the end of the psalm that this person we could label as the righteous one, someone who has chosen a righteous path. Okay, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers? That's Psalm 1-1. So we're, we're hearing about this person. This is someone who doesn't hang out with wicked sinners or mockers. The psalmist says that they're happy. Happy. Now, this, this, my shoe's untied. That's going to weird me out. I just stepped on it. All right. So the word happy that's used here, used 45 times in the Old Testament. Okay, 44 times. It's uh, in my, the version that I read, uh, the version of the Bible, CSB, Christian Center Bible, is the, is the version I prefer. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that, but invite me to lunch and we'll talk about it. But the Hebrew word is used four times in the Old Testament. And in the CSB, it gets translated happy, but also joyful and blessed. Blessed. All right, now in the world of social media, blessed is a word you can get on social media today and see. Hashtag blessed. Now, the Hebrew word that's used here, I'm going to go on and argue, is not hashtag blessed. Okay? Because hashtag blessed is a very different thing than just the word happy and the word blessed. Hashtag blessed is what you post on social media along with a picture of something good in your life. Your family, your new house, your first paycheck from your new job. But you block out how much money you made so nobody knows. Um, a night out with your friends, you know, take a selfie in front of the fountain at Bridge Street or whatever, right? We do. If that was you this weekend, I I promise you, I'm not calling anybody out. But with any number of things. But what I'm what I want you to understand is that the biblical word "blessed" that we're seeing here is used in ways that you and I would not put on social media. Okay, like this, the blessed that's talking about here is something deeper. Than that. I'll show you an example, or, or several examples, actually. Job 5.17 says, that, See how happy is the person whom God corrects. Hashtag blessed. You think? God just corrected me this weekend in a major way and wrecked my world. Hashtag blessed. Probably not. Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. Now, I'm not sure how you catch that in a picture, but but again, we're talking about something that's that's deeper than just uh, happy. Lord, how happy is anyone you discipline and teach your law? Uh, Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen. Happy is the one who is always reverent. Just like a picture of you being real still and quiet. Hashtag blessed. So there's more going on with this word than possessions, a good job, and family. Hopefully you can see that. Now, if you consider the New Testament, you go to the New Testament, Jesus takes this Hebrew word, except he says it in Greek, a Greek word, and I'm not smart enough to tell you what they are. But again, but Jesus is borrowing this idea from the Old Testament as he begins to preach and teach. Um, in one of his the longest blocks of teaching in the New Testament is the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5 through 7. And the, at the very beginning of that, um, he, he begins to declare who is blessed. He says, blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, those who mourn. Blessed are the humble, the merciful. And he ends on, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Does that seem like picture-worthy moments to you guys? Right? You get made fun of at work because of your loving stance in Christ. Take a picture, post it on social media. Hashtag blessed. Like grieving over a loss in your life, grieving over 
someone uh, who's going through something difficult in your church family, take a picture of yourself with tears on your face, hashtag blessed. See, there, there's something else going on in the word that you and I don't have, we may not have the idea of this. There's a deeper spiritual meaning that's going on, something that's a connection to God. And I, I think that's important for us to recognize. It's this spiritual happiness that the righteous person will experience, even through difficulties. But there's another person here in the poetry. It's not just the righteous person. It's also the wicked in verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment or sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So the psalmist is telling us there's two different ways to live. There's a righteous way to live and there's a wicked way to live. And to help us understand those two people a little bit more, the psalmist gives us two pictures. And for you visual people, you're welcome, okay? The psalmist did this just for you. Uh, He gives us two pictures um, look at verse 3. Let's see uh, the, the well, let me give, don't put it up there yet. I quizzed the first uh, service, so we'll do it here too. What's the image of the righteous person from the text? If you get it wrong, you have to leave. That's the rule. I didn't make it. That's the rule. What image? Am I throw it out? A tree. Thank you, Felicia. It was going to be awkward if somebody got it wrong. A tree, right? Not just a tree, though. It's a tree planted by a stream of water that bears its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Right? So we have this picture of a tree, a very healthy tree in verse 3. It's a, it's a, the, the one who is righteous should look like this, bearing fruit as we talked about last, uh, what, three weeks ago? But the idea of the word planted is not like a seed planted in the ground and it grows up from the ground. The idea is that the tree itself was planted there. So it either, you know, was raised from a sapling kind of thing and then planted, or it was transplanted from somewhere else. And it was placed here next to this stream for a purpose so that the stream can give it life. The righteous person is not effective and productive on its own. The focus here is on the stream. The tree is placed next to the life-giving stream We'll talk more about that in a bit. But what's the other picture? What was the wicked like? Quiz again. Thank you. Chaff. Thank you. All right. Thanks for playing. They are like chaff. Now, some of you know exactly what chaff is, okay? You know exactly the process that chaff is removed. But if you're like me and you took like one semester of ag and you barely survived it, I did marry a girl who grew up on a farm, so that helps a little bit. Not a farmer, not familiar with these terms, okay? So let me help you understand what chaff is, okay? When grain is harvested, the heads of the grain are what we're looking for. That's what we're going to grind up, and apparently that's how you make stuff. It's from grain, okay? But um, I've been told. uh, I buy mine from the store. But the heads, right, are surrounded by this useless shell called chaff and um it needs to be separated we need to get the chaff off and if you've ever seen um like it it, there's we can't do it individually okay we've got to have a process where we can do this in bulk otherwise it's going to take forever and until the industrial revolution the way man has prepared grain after harvesting before the grinding is two two steps threshing and winnowing Okay, now, some of y'all are going to go home and, and do this. You, the, 
uh, I'm sure the Dobbs can, you can come along with them and, and you can grind grain with them. They, they make some really cool stuff uh, out of really fresh ingredients. So ask them if you need more info. Um, they were not here the first service and it was much easier to talk about this. Uh, so the word thresh literally means to stomp your feet, okay? And to just be loud and to bang, right? And so what what uh, what threshing is when it comes to the grain is they would have this big area, what's called a threshing floor. You see that throughout the Bible. And there's a threshing floor. It's a hard surface, as hard as they could get. Oftentimes, even like a an ancient form of concrete or pavement that they would find, uh, a very a very hard surface. And the first thing they've got to do is bang it. Okay, so do the bang it, step on it, smash it, whatever. What they're trying to do is get the 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 the, the chaff that's on the outside to just break up a little bit. Um, it would be tied up and beaten with something else, or slammed down on the flat hard surface. Um, it was to break up the more fragile chaff, loosen it, and then that is properly threshed grain. Step two was called winnowing. Um, they would literally take the grain with a winnowing fork and. <laughs> Throw it up in the air. It's fun, right? Like, I want to sign up for that job. Um, But they would throw this now threshed grain into the air, and the heads, which are heavier, would fall to the threshing floor, and the chaff would be blown away by the wind. wind. You couldn't do it on a non-windy day, but on a windy day, it's perfect. Once the winding was complete, the heads could be swept up, gathered, um, and then ground up for whatever it is you do with grain. However... The chaff would be blown everywhere. If it was an indoor, some of them had indoor threshing floors, they would be swept up and burned. But either way, it had no purpose, right? So that's the point. That's what chaff is. Long story short. Not so short, but long story. That's what chaff is. And so when when the psalmist says that the wicked are like chaff, what we're supposed to recognize is that they had no purpose, but they're living without a purpose. And at the end, uh, he says here in a moment, they will lead to ruin. The path they're on will lead to ruin. It either leads to being blown everywhere or burned up. So before we move to part C, there's a little bit of a disheartening thing here going on um, that I think is significant. And when you read Psalm 1, you may not notice it, but if you marinate on it over and over again, what you'll recognize is that there, every time the righteous person is spoken of, it's in the singular form. And every time the wicked person is spoken of, it's in the plural form. And and I don't think I'm making too much of God's word, but uh, here, what I recognized, I've been a Christian now for, for uh, tw- 27 years, right? Like, what I'm recognizing is that I often feel alone in my walk with Christ. Like, especially when I worked, before I started working here, now I get to work with Kenny every day, so I know he's a believer and we could talk about Jesus. But like, I, was, I built cabinets before that. And not everybody I worked with was a Christian. And there were times where I was trying to make decisions in my life, good, right decisions, but I didn't get any support from the guys I was working with, right? Because they were on a different path. Some of you may have family where you feel like the only one. You feel like, am I the only person here who truly loves Jesus? And maybe you know that you are. Maybe it's just they're not believers. But we can feel very alone. However, what we're seeing about the wicked is is the wicked often feel like everybody's with them. There's a, there's a plural, there's a, there's a, a mob nature 
to being on the wrong path. You feel like everybody's going with you. This is what everybody else is doing. And the two pictures I think that are being painted here are to help you help you just find just peace that, yes, you're going to feel alone. But I think that's why, stepping away for a moment just from the sermon, that's why the church is so important. If you go to a workplace where no one else believes in Jesus, if you're in a family where nobody else believes in Jesus and you get no support whatsoever Monday through Saturday, Sunday's here. You get to come in. You get to be in this room where most of us have claimed, yes, I follow Jesus. Not just at a one point in my life, but daily. I'm trying to follow Jesus. And you can find the support and the help that you need, the wisdom that you need, people to speak into your life and help you get through life's difficulties. If you've trusted in Jesus, you've probably experienced a, 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 an alone feeling in your life, but that's why the church has been given. And so these two pictures, we got the two people that are being exemplified by the two pictures, and now what we're seeing are two promises. Two promises that come at the end of this, verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Notice what said the righteous. The Lord watches over their way, their path, their life. Now, something to impress your friends with. It's the watches over. It's the word yada in Hebrew. Okay, I don't try to pronounce a lot of Hebrew words, but yada I can nail. Right? I can do that. Yada. And what it means is it means to be known. Right? It means to be known. And so oftentimes when I think of God watches over the way the Lord, Yahweh, watches over the way of the, uh, of the righteous, it, 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 to me, as I was reading it, created this idea of like God from heaven, 30,000 feet, you know, just looking down on me and going, yep, there's Heath. Yep, he's got some difficulties ahead of him, right? Like just looking down, very distant. Very, that's not the word, though. You need to know that. The English translators are trying to do the best they can, but the word is known intimately. This is not a bird's eye view that God has. Yes, he has that, and he can see what's ahead, and he can see what's behind, but it's also an intimacy. You are known if you are in Christ. You are known. God has a sovereign, which means big and powerful, but yet also personal knowledge of your path. It's important to note here as well that in no way does the Lord watching over your way mean it doesn't say that it, that's going to make it easy. There's a reason he didn't say amen, because that's the thing we hate about this life, isn't it? God, I've trusted in you. Let me coast. Let me hang out. Take away all the pain in my life. Let's make this easy. That's not what the text says. You'll find it nowhere in the Bible. Important to note, the way of the righteous doesn't say it will be easy. It doesn't say it will always be fun and full of happy days. It simply says that Yahweh knows you and will watch over your way. This means difficult days will come. Heartache will come. Fights, arguments, broken relationships may come. But God is watching over the way of the righteous. Well, let's flip it. What about the wicked? The way of the wicked. The psalmist says, leads to ruin. The way of the wicked leads to ruin. The psalmist has already said that they will be blown away. There is no good end for those on the wicked path. There is no God 
watching over them in an intimate way. Does God see their path? Absolutely. But are they known by God in the way that we who are in Christ are? No. No. They're not known by Him in that way as we see fleshed out in Scripture. Now, this is the poem that begins the series of poems called Psalms. And over and over again, you see these themes not just come up in the book of Psalms, but you see them elsewhere. And the point of this psalm, I think, you can disagree with me, I don't think it's that hard to comprehend. Be on the right path. The Lord watches over it. Be a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit. Don't be on the path to wicked because that's not going to end well. Amen. Shut the book. Let's go. But there's a, what's the kicker? Like, what is it that separates the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked? What is it? We're talking about these two images. We've got these, the two people, the two pictures, the two uh, uh, promises. But what's the cause? Right? Because I think many of the times in our lives when we head down the path of the wicked, I'm, 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 even, even me who's on the path of the righteous, oftentimes I can get sidetracked. And I'm not getting sidetracked on purpose oftentimes. I'm not looking and going, hey, that looks like some debaucherous activity. Let me go find that. Like, that looks like a path that will lead to destruction. I'm being led away by my own desires and my own mind, which the Bible says are sinful. And so we need to recognize that, that, that we are oftentimes misguided by these things. And so we need to recognize, what is the cause? What is the, how, how is it that people find their way onto these two paths? And I, I believe, again, the cause is found, um, and it's found more clearly, but I also want to take an opportunity to teach you something, okay? A little nerdy. All right, if you like literature, oh, baby, you're finna love this. Miss Judy, I see you back there. Y'all fixing to love this. Now, if you like science, if science is your thing, um, just think about lunch for a little bit, okay? <laughs> like math, I'm sorry. History, check your email, okay? Like, I don't, I don't know. No, don't do any of those things. Pay attention. But this is, this is a little bit nerdy, but I, it's, it's so cool, like, and it's in the Bible. And if we're going to read our Bibles for ourselves, which is one of the main ways, one of the main outcomes of the way that I want to preach, is to help you read the Bible for yourself. You can begin to notice these things yourself. So here we go. Let's step off in it. There's a literary device called chiastic structure. Okay, a chiastic structure. It comes from the Greek word, uh, the Greek letter chi, which is an X. Okay, so an X. All right. Now, a chiastic structure, it sounds real, real fancy, um, but it's simply when a paragraph or a poem is laid out in a reciprocal way, meaning... We say something, we say something else about that same thing, and then we shift to something else. I'm going to show you on the screen here in a second. We say the same thing about it, and then we go back to the original idea and say something about it. So it's this, we bounce out, and we come back the exact same way we came in. I'll give you a great example from Jesus, Matthew 6, 24. Um, so let's look at this on the screens. Okay, so A, no one can serve two masters. How does he end Matthew 6, 24? You cannot serve God in money. Right? So he's showing the two masters. Let's look at B. Right after he says no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, 
or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Do you see how he, he goes in? So it's two masters, hate, love, devoted, despised, cannot serve two masters. Right? So he steps into it and then he steps back out. Again, nerdy literary stuff. But y'all, from like throughout most of human history, this is the way poetry is being written. And the Bible is no different. And so we need to get a little nerdy sometimes to understand what the intent of the author. No, no author of the Bible sat down with a pen and just went, and their hand magically moved. Like, that's not the image that we're supposed to have. These, these, the, these people who penned the Bible, they're writing with their personality. They're writing with techniques. They're writing with, with beauty and literary. Like this, classic structures are a thing that date way, way back a long time. And so we just, again... It's nerdy, I know, but like what you need to recognize is that when you have a chiastic structure, you can take that off the screen. So well, we, have, we have the same thing in Psalm 1. So when we have a, when we have a structure like this, oftentimes um, it's so clean, like that one, just boom, 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 boom. It's just beautiful, right? But in Psalm 1, we don't have it clean. We have an A, B, B, A, and right between the first A and B, there's a there's a thing that's shoved in there verse two but before we do that let me show you the abb8 okay look at verse one he's talking about the righteous right in there what are they seen doing walking standing and sitting okay what do we see in verse five we don't see all three of them okay again it's not super clean but we have the wicked who are not standing and not sitting in the assembly okay so that's what's going on there. Then you have verses 3 and 4 that mirror each other. We have this image, right? The righteous is like a tree, and the wicked is like chaff. Right? And so we're getting these pictures. But what about verse 2? Stuck oddly in the midst. Of six, verse 6 we're going to talk about here and say is kind of like a wrap-up verse. But verse 2, oftentimes in these structures, what's thrown in the middle that seems out of place is out of place because the author wants you to catch it. The author wants it to stand out. The author wants you to grasp it. Oftentimes, it's the very key to all of it. The cause of the what is the cause of the wicked's downturn, the downfall? What's the cause of the righteous person's closeness to God? What what is it? How do we how do we become a tree planted by streams of water and not on a path to wickedness? Verse two. His delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. What is the key to the path God has for you? The psalmist says, delighting in Yahweh's instruction. The Hebrew is the, the, Hebrew is the word Torah, which for the Jew could mean instruction or teaching, but it also represented the scriptures. So the psalmist is painting this image, this ABBA image for us in such a way to urge us to be on the right path and then throws the key to it all right in the middle, loving God's word. If you and I desire to follow the righteous path in any way, we've got to submit ourselves to God's word, but not out of duty, church. You see that the psalmist doesn't say the key to the righteous life is being very, very disciplined and getting up every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. Some of y'all are laughing at that 5, 4, whatever time y'all get up. Josh back there, he's laughing at 7. 
But like, get up in the early in the morning, read your Bible. before. You, that's not what he said. Because you can read your Bible every morning and not love it. You can study your Bible and not love it. What does he say? Delight. The key is delighting in the Lord's instruction. And the word delight, you know what it means in Hebrew? Delight. There's, that's it. There's no, there's no little side note. Let me, it just means to delight. It means to be to find joy, to find happiness, to find 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 a love for it. We need to find God's word exciting. And listen, if you're not there right now, I get it, and that's okay for today. Like if you got up this morning and tried to read your Bible, and you're like, oh, let me get there. like, and you or you didn't even do it, and you haven't for a long time. Like, it's okay to be where you are, but but hear me say this: it's not okay to stay there. Right? Like that's the kicker. That's the key. If you're not there right now, ask God to create in you that very emotion that the psalmist just said you need to walk the path God has for you. And then start diving in. Okay? Like, that's the thing. Don't just sit around and wait on it. I used this analogy in the first service and it got me in a little trouble, but I'm going to do it again because she's not here now. Um, There are times where, like, I'm just in a bad mood. And loving my wife doesn't come easy. No amens. Okay. Thank you. Like, I just, like, I want to be served. Can I just be straight with you? There's some where I'm in a bad mood. I don't want to help any of y'all. I don't want to help my wife. I don't want to help my kids. Like, I want to go to the bathroom and help wipe my son, right? Like, I want somebody to do something for me. And it's in those moments that I recognize, what I need to recognize, that's sin. Like, that's sin. That's not a good place to be. What I need to do is ask God to change that about me. God, help me to not be this way. But in that moment, I also don't then go sit down in the recliner and wait on it. It's bad practice, men. If you're in that situation, pray that God changes you, but then go do something. Go serve. Go do something for her, for the kids, for somebody. Okay? Eat. Listen. Even if you're just checking the box because the pastor said to. Because what's going to happen is you continue to do that even when you don't want to. As long as you're praying for the desire to enjoy it and to want to do it, then those things happen. So if you're not delighting in God's word right now, pray that God would help you delight in it. And then don't just sit and wait on it like some lightning bolt from heaven. And then you go, oh, I got it. Now let's go. It's not going to happen. You need to continue in the Word. You need to open it up and continue to read it. And then what you'll find is it may be several days, maybe several weeks, but eventually you're going to go, oh, yes. And you're going to find delight in God's Word. And there will be seasons of distraction and all that stuff. But let's pray for delight, and then let's start diving in. And so we're going to talk. It also says to meditate on it day and night. We're going to come back and talk about that on Wednesday night. So if you're interested in that, um, it's not some weird Eastern mysticism meditation. Uh, meditation is something that is very Hebrew. It's very, it's all like all the Old Testament is Hebrew meditation literature. And there's a practice to that. And there's a, there's things we're going to talk about Wednesday night that'll be really, really cool. So come back and be a part of that um, discussion. Even if you're not signed up, you can sign up today or you can just talk to us and we'll help you find the right one. But um, so lastly, let's look, we've looked at the 
the comparison and then the cause, and now um, you guessed it, it starts with a C, the conclusion. Um, so if verse 2 is the hook that the rest of everything else balances on, then I think it's important to then take that and let's go back to point number one and let's look at God's word. Let's look at all three of the points from point one in light of God's word. So the first thing we talked about was two people, right? In the, in the, in the poem, there are two people. And when we think about those two people and the path they're on in light of God's word, what we recognize is that God's word provides wisdom. Why would a righteous person not associate with the wicked, with sinners, and with scoffers? Because he is informed by the counsel of God's word. He's read God's word. He understands that, uh, that the world is telling me to do one thing, but God's word has told me to do another. Right here, she sees the path they are on because of a knowledge of God's word. It's wisdom. And again, in verse 5, the psalmist says that the wicked sinners will not get to sit in the assembly of the righteous. Why? Because they sought out the ever-shifting wisdom of the world instead of God's wisdom through his word. God's word provides wisdom, and we need to recognize that. Point number or B, or whatever we're calling it here. Two pictures. Let's go back to two pictures. God's word provides a sturdy foundation, or if you want to say, life. Why is the righteous like a tree planted by streams of water? And why is there fruit, and why, is there, why do their leaves... Uh, prosper and not, never, never, never dry up. Because the righteous person is one who is rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word, from the from Genesis one and two all the way through to Revelation. The idea of streams is a theme. In the garden, there was a river. In Revelation, there is a river. And both of them give the image of God's life-giving power. And so why does the psalmist, again, the psalmist would have been heavily grounded in the first three chapters of Genesis, right? He would have known that. And so he's using this water of life theme. The stream that the, the, the righteous person is planted beside is God's word that gives life. This, this tree that was uprooted or, or that was growing somewhere else has now been planted and it's been planted strategically to receive life from the stream, which is God's word. If you're a Christian, hopefully you've seen that, the life-giving nature of God's word. Why is the wicked like chaff then? Because they failed to anchor themselves in truth. They've dried up. Right? The chaff would get very, very dry. So there's just the idea of, of, of not being connected to the stream, not being connected to life. The third thing, two promises that we talked about. What we see here is that God's word stands the test of time. The reason why God knows the way of the righteous is that it's his way. You get that, right? <laughs> like that's why God knows the way of the righteous. It's, and it's through Christ that we are known by him. And why will the way of the wicked perish? Because only God's word, not man's word, will stand forever. Now here's, what's inter- here's, here's the challenge of the whole thing, right? Like you and I have an opportunity today and tomorrow and the next day to delight in God's word. And in so doing, be on the path that God has for us as believers. If you're a Christian in the room, 
you don't get to not like the Bible. Like, you don't. You don't get to not like it. You don't get to tolerate the Bible. You don't get... We got to love it. We have to delight in it. And if you're not there, again, I want to encourage you, pray and then dive in. Pray and dive in. More foundationally, though, listen, if you're not a believer, I'll I'll even ask everybody first, which one of those images better exemplifies your life? Like a fruitful tree, bright green leaves, life, or the chaff that's just dried up and blowing along through the town, right? Which one of those images best exemplifies the life that you're living? And if so, let's think about that. Because here's what I need you to know. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, even if you would argue with me over whether you're chaff or not, you'll lose the argument. You may feel like you have purpose, and there are some small purposes that maybe you feel in your life, but the Bible is clear that the the main goal of humanity is to bear the image of Christ. And you cannot do that apart from being changed by Jesus. This morning, we got to, I got to baptize a young boy, seven years old. When I sat down with him to ask him before we baptized him, I said, have you repented of your sins? And he said, yes. And I said, well, tell me what it means. And he said, it means that I sin. And, and that separates me from God. And I need to turn away from that and turn back to God. And I said, bingo. And I said, are you trusting daily that Jesus is your Savior? And he said, yes. I said, tell me what that means. Only He's the only one that can save me. Nobody else can. I said, your mom and dad can't? Nope. Grandparents can't? Nope. Water's not going to? Nope. Who can? Jesus Christ. I'm adding a little bit. Wasn't, he was seven. It's not quite that clean, okay? But at the end of the day, whether you're seven in the room or whether you're 87, you're saved by the same blood, the same way. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus as your Savior. If you've never done that, I don't want to cast this appalling image over you, but, but right now your, your, your life is pointless when it comes to spiritual things. But again, you can connect to this source of life, the stream, the Word of God, You can connect to that today and you can find total purpose in being uh, living out the image of God in your life. Today, we're going to have we're going to sing one more song. And uh, this is a song. This is an opportunity just for you to worship. If God just God just stirred in you that you're on the right path, just worship God that he spoke to you today. Um, If you're if you're uh, if you need to come to this altar and pray for yourself or for somebody else, you're welcome to do that. Uh, somebody from our church may come and uh, will hopefully come and just pray over you and just thank you for being here and just pray that God would allow you to to, to receive the answers that you're looking for. Um, but if you've never trusted in Jesus, I'm going to stand right here for the first part of the song and then I'm going to probably slide right over here, but I'm still available um, to just help you find, like I want you to know before you leave um, that you're in Christ, that you're known by God. 
I'd love to help you find that answer today. We'll also have decision counselors by the back door. If you prefer to go back instead of come forward, you can go back there and talk to them. But anything you need to work through, just let's take this opportunity to work through that. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we'll all stand and sing. Father, we thank you, God, that um, that in your word uh, we do have life. And, God, that, uh, that apart from your word, God, we would dry up and, and have no purpose. God, I pray for, for me, God, that you would help me to walk along the righteous path day after day after day. And, God, not get sidetracked and distracted and, God, uh, unemotional about your word in the way that I need to be. God, protect me from those things. Protect us, this church, from those things so that, God, we can faithfully walk on this path that, that, uh, that leads to you. And, God, I pray for any in the room that, that God, as your word says, are on the wrong path. God, today, uh, today we've offered an opportunity uh, to be transplanted next to the stream that gives life, your word. And, God, I pray today that they wouldn't leave without making that sure. We thank you for this opportunity, God. We pray that you'd be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand, sing, you respond however God leads. Shall not want 
Amen. You can have a seat really quick. Just a couple of announcements uh, you want to know. I shouldn't say this because it's on camera, but the first service, I told him I was going to apologize to my teacher, and I actually called her name because all of that literature business, I didn't know any of that. And um, and so I was going to call my old literature teacher. Then somebody stopped me outside and told me, that wasn't your literature teacher, and told me it was another lady. So I didn't even know the teacher was right. So... Anyway, but I appreciate a pastor that will teach me to read the Bible better than I can, than I have, and I did, in a, in a new perspective, and I'm sorry to all the English teachers that are watching today, because I didn't pay attention. Uh, so next Sunday, uh, East 101, if, you, if you're interested in becoming a member here, or you just want to learn more about what we are, uh, during this service in Building B, uh, I will teach. It's just an answer of what we believe, why we believe it, and I'll answer your questions if you've got them. Uh, just so if you're thinking about joining here, you won't join uh, without knowing what you're getting yourself into. Uh, we'll tell your expectations of this church, and we'll tell you what we expect of you as a member here. So if you have any of those questions, next Sunday during this service, East 101, come over there and we'll uh, go through that. Then also next Sunday night is our kickball tournament. Uh, if you want to play kickball and you're not involved in a group, uh, this Wednesday would be a great time to plug in. Uh, but if you're if you're not able to be here on Wednesdays and still want to play, you can see me or Heath. We'll plug you into a group because all our teams are going to be group based. But that's next Sunday night, just right down the road at Creekside, four thirty uh, next Sunday night. And if you don't want to play, you just want to come laugh at Heath because uh, he's terrible. It's four thirty next Sunday. Uh, you can just come laugh. That's fine. Uh, and then we know your skills. And then uh, the other thing is uh, give to go Sunday. We'll keep that in front of you just to keep your heart ready and your wallet. Uh, honestly, because we're going to take up all of our love offering, uh, all of our missions offering for all year on October the 3rd. Uh, we do that just once a year. It's, uh, it's to support missions throughout the whole year. That's October the 3rd. So be praying about that because uh, it's coming faster than we realize. And then last but not least, offering here, we have a blue bucket by the back door. Uh, you can still give online. There's still text. And then my favorite personal is if you mail it. I get to check the mail. Every day I rush out there. And check the mail. But I uh, appreciate you being here. We'll pray and y'all can have a good day. Father God, just thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, I thank you for the worship that we've heard. And God, I just pray you be with the people here. God, we don't leave the same. Uh, God, that we apply your word through the week. Uh, God, and we're back here Wednesday to learn even more. So be with us. God, put people on our path today to talk about you. And your name I pray. Amen.